You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. My name is Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we'd like to welcome you to the show today. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners. We are taping the show today, so we're we're trying to be as spontaneous together. I'm sitting right across from Alex. Yeah, this is this is uh, nice and uh, intimate, quarters. per se. We're at yeah. tight quarters. Usually, I, I'm peering at him through the, gra- the glass, but... Uh, yeah, now I can touch you. Now, yeah, I don't. can reach okay, No, no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> But uh, we'll, we'll leave it to the listener's imagination. Yeah, exactly. Really, there's not a whole bunch to imagine. It's just we're peering into each other's eyes here. So it's uh, it's glad uh, it's good to have all of you listening with us today. So no opportunity to call in. But, you know, do hit us up on all of our social media sites. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC. And please do email us. We're getting a few more emails, which is wonderful comments on the show. And uh, people are starting actually to request show topics, which is kind of fun. So our email address is thh at radiomaria.ca. All of our wonderful shows and the, the great information that our guests bring to the show are turned over into podcasts within about a week of our show. Uh, and you can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, all of your podcast uh, formats. Also, you can come to the Radio Maria website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. You can go to my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And if you like what you hear or particularly had a show that you thought was was awesome, uh, leave us uh, a friendly comment. You know, we're really trying to promote the, the wonderful guests that we have here and the wonderful information. We do have a lot of cutting-edge health information, Alex, and today is going to be another one. For sure, Kathy, and in particular, the ratings and the comments go a long way to helping us get the word out with regards to the health hub. It really does, and like I said, we we try and bring you things that are different and new, and Ira Pastor, who we'll be talking to today, is definitely on more of the cutting edge. It's it's a topic that I've, I've really had to look into since finding Ira, and uh, very, very interesting stuff. You're not going to want to miss this show, but before we get started with our show topic today, uh, we're going to be talking with Ira a bit about cell regeneration and so forth, so I thought in keeping with that, I might give you the four basic steps of wound healing. And I was going to get into what we as humans can and can't do. But, you know, we talk a lot about inflammation and how that is really, you know, a negative impact on our system and how it contributes to chronic disease. But overall, the inflammation process is an ideal working form. It's to help us heal. So I want to just go over with you the positive 
flip of inflammation. So the four stages of wound healing are homeostasis, which is the first phase. And homeostasis starts when your injury happens, when you cut your finger or you hammer a nail into your your hand or whatever. And what homeostasis does is it, it, it stops the bleeding. This is the first part and it, it stops, it tries to stop the bleeding by forming a clot. And this clot forms a dam, basically, to, to stop the drainage of the blood. Platelets come into contact with collagen, and an enzyme called thrombin initiates the formation of a fibrin mesh. So what we're laying is the foundation for a scab. And it strengthens the platelet clumps, and it forms this stable clot. So that's stage one of the inflammation process and wound healing. So the inflammatory phase, really where where you notice the pain and the redness, this is the second stage. And this stage works on destroying bacteria and getting rid of any debris or garbage that's in the area to help uh, prevent infection. So during this phase, white blood cells called neutrophils go to the wound and help to or work to destroy bacteria and remove debris. And these white cells leave a specialized cell called, um, sorry, the white cells go and then the specialized cells called microphages, they come and they are, you know, they're the core part of removing the debris from the area. And the microphage cells secrete growth factors and proteins that attract the immune system cells to the wound to aid the repair, the reddening of the skin, the heat and the pain. This is what happens during this phase, something that uh, we're all uh, very familiar with when um, a wound happens. But again, this is all initiated by an inflammatory response that is supposed to aid in wound healing. The proliferative phase, phase three, it's during this time that the wound actually really begins to heal. Blood vessels are formed. Um, the wound starts to shrink in, so the margins contract towards the center of the wound. And then epithelial cells begin to cover. And this is really where a real part, the, the, the proliferative, so meaning more of, of the epithelial cells and come and cover the wound and, and heal. And then the maturation phase, which is phase four, is when tissue gains strength and flexibility and the tissue remodels and matures and increases in strength. So those are the four phases of wound healing. And, you know, I will we'll touch on some of this with Ira. Now, Ira Pastor received his MBA from Temple University and his Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy from Rutgers University. He has over 30 years of experience across multiple sectors of the pharmaceutical industry, including pharmaceutical commercialization, biotech, drug, drug development, managed care, distribution, OTC and retail. Currently, he is the chief executive officer of BioCork Inc., a company that focuses on the development of novel, this is a word that I'm having a hard time with, combinatorial biologics. So our learning points are going to be A, what is combinatorial uh, biologics, what exactly BioCork is doing now, and what they hope to do and bring to us in the future. We'll be right back after our break.
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are with our guest, Ira Pastor. As mentioned, this is a tape show, so unfortunately, no opportunity to call in. But if you do have any questions about the show when you hear it, please do send us an email and we will direct, uh, direct your questions to the appropriate person. Ira, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. I guess the best place to start off with, and and everybody, I'm going to be learning as you are, because this is, again, as I said to you, it's a new company that I had not heard of, and what they're doing is is very, very amazing, actually. And um, Ira, you're going to be teaching all of us. So maybe I guess the best thing to do is start off with how you got into BioQuark and, and, you know, the focus of your company and and what you're hoping to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... Just some background, you know, BioQuark uh, is a life sciences company, um, and we you know, say in-house that we are focused on the three R's, uh, which are regeneration, uh, reversion of disease, and ultimately rejuvenation uh, as it pertains to um, aging and age-related pathology. And, and, and doing all of this, uh, with the the goal of coming up with biologic solutions to many of the uh, chronic degenerative diseases that are unfortunately still responsible for human suffering, degeneration, and death. Um, the so the the back or the mission of the company, you know, we like to say, is all about uh, going back to nature and also looking at the past. And when I talk about the past, uh, I'm not just talking about our, you know, our recent past, but sort of our evolutionary past and all of the wonderful organisms on this planet that you know, came before us. Um, because you know, we don't think about it that much, but um, most organisms out there that you know, inhabit this place with us from a health and wellness perspective are just far more advanced than humans. Uh, and whether we are talking about the complex limb and spinal cord regeneration capabilities of amphibians, or whether we are talking about the, the planarian worm's ability to take cancer and just shrug it off and turn tumors into normal tissues, or whether we're talking about you know, folks like the immortal jellyfish that like to live forever, um, you know, these are, needless to say, abilities that um, humans do not have anymore. Uh, in many ways, they are thought of as, you know, superhero type stuff. And so I joke, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how did I get involved in it? What's my interest? Well, aside from my interest in curing disease, you know, I was always a big fan growing up of science fiction and comic books and sort of <laughs> realizing some of the superpowers that are there. So uh, I guess, you know, this is a has been a wonderful opportunity for me to merge not just my you know 30 years of experience in the industry but at the same time sort of advance the human situation into you know some of these possibilities that we don't normally think about but um really will potentially have dramatic impacts to how we look at 
the major diseases that unfortunately kill us today, uh, 5, 10, 20 years from now. We don't normally think about them because we assume that we're higher evolved than the amphibians and the jellyfish that you're looking at. Um, we think about it that way, but it's it's really the opposite because, you know, I, I look out the window here of my office. You know, there's trees here that you know, their ancestors were on this planet a billion years ago, survived ice ages and you know, meteor showers and all sorts of other nasty stuff that's happened on this planet. Um, and, and many of these organisms, yeah, they've been around hundreds of millions to billions of years, surviving very happily and coming up with solutions to all the stuff that kills us. So um, while this is always seen as an industry of the future, um, there's much in the past that we need to reconnect with because we kind of throw it away and thinking it's simplistic or it's not cool <laughs> or whatever. But there's a tremendous base of knowledge out there from the last you know, 100 years or so that we really need to tap back into to have a sort of a more holistic view on what it means to cure uh, disease as opposed to just treat it. I can't help thinking about, you know, all the studies that are going on now and, and the main, you know, big thrust of, of medicine is looking at the microbiome. And what is the microbiome? You know, there are bacteria and yeast and fungus that have cleverly situated themselves within us and survive well beyond us. Yeah, I mean, the microbiome and, and, and the virome, too, are, you know, excellent examples. Uh, I mean, we think, you know, the current estimate is that you and I and everyone listening are, you know, whether we like to think about it or not, we're about 9% virus. <laughs> I mean, we're not even 100% human, really. Um, you know, when you combine all of that with some of these newer disciplines that, um, you know, are less well-known. There are these, the study of so-called interkingdom signaling and semi-chemical communication. This is how basically a live signal, whether that's a microbe or an organism, how a living signal can affect the genome of a human for positive transitions in health and wellness. Um, yes, we're beginning to see that um, although for the last hundred years, the pharmaceutical industry and the consumer healthcare product industry was based heavily on natural products derived primarily from plants, fungi, and bacteria. The really smart people will tell you that, you know, we've really only scratched the surface with everything out there that nature has to offer. So, you know, the microbiome is an excellent example. And you have, you know, some of these new terminology now, this, uh, this holo-genome concept that, yeah, we have these, you know, there's 100 trillion things, organisms living inside on our skin or integrated a part of our DNA now, um, we better take it all into account. Yeah, it's a, it's a humbling, a humbling thing to think about, really. You yeah. were not maybe as, as, as super powerful as, uh, as we thought, and maybe we're just a host to other things. <laughs> maybe we're the transient being, and it's the other things that are meant to live on. <laughs> it, it's you know evolution does fascinating things in that respect <laughs> now you've you've come from the pharmaceutical industry and there must have been some sort of aha moment where you said mm, this might not be working for me and you've gone into more of a biological sphere was there a key episode that brought you to this point uh yeah i mean it's in essence the um i watched my father die of uh prostate cancer i watched my mother die of chronic uh, lung disease. I watched my grandparents taken from me from all sorts of cancers and heart disease. Uh, and there I am, 
sitting in an industry that's generating a trillion dollars a year now, a trillion, (laughs) crazy number annually, and hasn't come up with a single cure for any chronic degenerative disease responsible for suffering and death. We came up with a lot of treatments. We're very good at lowering cholesterol and raising estrogen and, and modulating blood sugar and all this bit. But when it comes to the really big stuff that kills us, we're not batting too well. And, you know, I point out the last real cure technically we ever created was the antibiotic. And, you know, what was that, 100 years ago? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that was an imbalance. And then so, you know, and here I am now. I have three kids of my own. They're the future. Um, I wasn't able to do it for my parents and grandparents, but I'll definitely do it for them. So, I mean, that was <laughs> my goal of sort of this next part of my career, doing something a little, a little different. Well, maybe you can tell us what combinatorial biologics is in layman's terms. Sure, sure. And just, you know, the analogy, um, the pharmaceutical industry um, products, its output are are basically, you know, what's referred to as sort of single magic bullets. You know, the pharmaceutical industry likes creating these little chemicals that, uh, you know, you put in little white pills, you dispense them at the local Rite Aid or CVS. And you take that pill for the next 50 years of your life. It does one thing. It attacks one receptor or a target. Um, you know, I take my blood pressure pill every day. My blood pressure goes down. At the end of the day, my blood pressure comes back up. Um, it's very transient. Um, but when you get into some of these more complex mechanisms, like regeneration of a limb, like reversion of a cancer cell into a normal cell, these are extremely complex mechanisms. Single drugs aren't going to get this done. So what we focus on with regard to combinatorial biologics is how we can bring together combinations, we'll say cocktails of substances that can do multiple things simultaneously. Um, And what we do, we look for proxies in nature, like we're talking about, like, you know, for instance, the salamander spinal cord regeneration. We understand everything that's going on in that spinal cord when, you know, it's chopped off and regenerates. And then how we can put together, once again, these combinatorial biologies, these cocktails of substances, proteins, peptides, microRNAs, other bioactive moieties that can mimic that in humans. Uh, The single magic bullet approach isn't going to do it. And so that is our concept where there's no reason to start with an approach anymore that isn't going to have an effect when we can start with the, the more complex components that nature has already created and how we can remimic those for the purposes of creating really new types of we'll pharmacotherapeutic interventions. Are, are you forefront on this? Is your company the first to start this or is this, are you formalizing something that's been going on for a long time? Yeah, well, you know, we're the first to tell you that, you know, we did not come up with some of these ideas on our own. The, I mean, obviously, regeneration is something that has been studied for you know, hundreds of years, uh, you know, going back you know, phenomenologically. Um, and the phenomena of tumor reversion uh, in, t- in terms of how organisms turn cancer into normal tissue has also been well known in the literature. Um, what we did, we basically looked at um, the last you know, hundred years of work and said, you know what, while a lot of it has gone on in the Petri dish for the purpose of studying, you know, cloning experiments or in vitro fertilization or some of these other tools to make stem cells and such. We said, no, let's use the knowledge that exists to go beyond the Petri dish 
Let's instead of trying to do stuff externally to the body, figure out how all of these wonderful substances um, have an effect therapeutically internally. Uh, and this has sort of been the sort of the leap that we took. So we're very, you know, we love to point out people like, uh, you know, we follow the work of John Gurdon from the UK who just got the Nobel Prize in 2012 on basically how certain components in ooplasm or eggs uh, prior to fertilization are very good at turning back time. Um, we follow the work of Mike Levin at Tufts in terms of bioelectric fields and regeneration. So we're very interested in everything that sort of has been studied, and we're not you know, ashamed to say that we, we want to step on the shoulder of giants to move forward in some of these areas that have stalled over time. Do you find that you're do, – do you get pushback from the pharmaceutical? Are you at the point where pharmaceuticals are pushing back against you? Um, not really. I mean, you know, I, 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 you know I, I come out of the industry. I, I was trained there, so I know all the <laughs> – I know everything that they attack with and, you know, all of their sort of uh, approaches. So I, I'm not very concerned about them. I still have a lot of good friends that work inside the industry. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, Big Pharma has its own problems. Uh, if this was, you know, 1980 or whatever, I'd be a little more concerned – but right now, you know, Big Pharma has to be less concerned with what I'm doing and more concerned with, you know, how they're going to survive in these 60, 70, 80 billion dollar shells of companies that, you know, don't do research anymore. Mm-hmm. They've become basically huge marketing engines. Um, and, you know, throughout most of you know, what got them there in the first place, which was really core research. So um, I'm not I'm not too worried about Big Pharma. They, they, they have other problems they need to deal with well before me. OK, so you'll go untouched, basically. You'll stay under the radar. <laughs> so what okay. we're going to do when we come back from break is what I'd like to do, Ira, is, is target um, what you're focusing on. Uh, you know, different. We talked about spinal cord and cancer. So maybe we'll delve a little bit deeper into that when we get back after our break. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like Your holy name 
voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, 
Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Ira Pastor of BioCork Inc. Again, our show is taped, so unfortunately you can't uh, send in your questions. But if you have any any questions after you hear the show, you can always email us at thh at radiomaria.ca and do follow us on our social media sites at the Health Hub RMC. Ira, we left at uh, a good point. We ended off sort of what you do and everything. And I really want to sort of dive into um, cell regeneration what you're really focusing on now and what you see as the future of your company. So what, what is the area of focus that you're most excited about right now? Um, the, the most exciting part uh, of our business that we're working on, and, and they're all pretty exciting, but the, the really driving component is the central nervous system, both in terms of spinal cord injury and paralysis uh, and you know, the obvious linkages there to the wonderful ability of salamanders and newts to regenerate their spinal cord really quickly. Um, and at the same time, the higher central nervous system, both traumatic brain injuries and uh, you know, longer term chronic diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. Um, and you know, while people argue that cancer and heart disease kill more people every year, uh, at the end of the day, um, the really <laughs> most people will say that the, the, the big problem that's headed our way as a society uh, is this uh, is this dementia and Alzheimer's problem. And, and we have no answers for it yet as a as an industry. Uh, we've come up with good things for heart disease and cancer, but uh, Alzheimer's is, is still a big issue. So we are very active. We spent several years in our own labs working on how we you know, move this ability that we only see in uh, low organisms like amphibians to mammals. So we studied rats and rabbits and guinea pigs uh, and cats. Uh, and looking at various models of neurodegeneration and spinal cord injury. And, and we're really excited in our ability to sort of, as we said, with the combinatorial concept, uh, mimicking those regeneration and uh, tissue remodeling or cell regeneration components from low organisms to higher organisms using bioactive substances. So that was very exciting to us. Uh, and recently we have um, with some partners in Asia, begun slowly to transition from the uh, the larger non-human uh, component of our research into some very early phase one uh, tolerability and safety testing. So we are we're getting out there um, slowly but surely in our clinical testing, um, and, and this is just a, you know, a, a, a huge area that um, once again is a major problem headed society's way. Um, secondarily to the central nervous system uh, is cancer, uh, just because it is still, and despite everything that's going on, it is still such an unmet medical need. We still lose 8 million folks every year due to this disease. Um, and we wanted to, you know, once again, while there were a lot of good approaches out there, uh, especially in, you know, war on cancer number two with uh, smart drugs and immunotherapies and other ways to kill, once again, we wanted to bring another component to the table, which was not another technique to kill, uh, but a way to change, in essence, figuring out how these organisms that get cancer change cancer and shrug it off like the common cold. So that has been very exciting for us as well in the lab, working with models of melanoma, breast cancer, glioma, and, and seeing this tumor reversion dynamic in effect. And once again, this is, you know, it's another fascinating area that goes back to the 1940s when it was first known that, you know, you could sprinkle uh, a, a tank full of frogs with some nasty carcinogen and they don't die of cancer. Uh, they get tumors, but they just turn the tumors into normal tissues. So that has been 
quite exciting for us as well. And then I would say I would put number three most important in our focus is sort of metabolic uh, related to both diabetes and sort of trickle-down damage to the kidneys. So those are our – while we'd like to focus <laughs> broadly on many things, there's, you know, we're a small company still and we can only go in so many directions. Where do you find the greatest um, resistance as far as you being able to – to find the right biologics for these. And what I'm thinking of is, you know, you're talking about looking at more simplistic organisms to find out with why they're able to do what we can't do. You know, the question that comes to my mind um, is why can't we do this? Are we too complex of an organism to be able to do this? No, and, and once again, that's when people bring that up. I like to say, you know, there's there's plenty of complexity out there um, that existed long before us. I mean, our genome uh, is quite similar to the genome of bacteria. Uh, it's quite similar to the genome of the pufferfish. Uh, and then there's a lot of organisms out there with genomes that are, you know, five, six, seven times as large uh, the, the size of ours. So we're not the most complex, you know, complex organisms there are. Um, that being said, um, we are complex and probably the one factor that has inhibited, uh, this the most in sort of an evolutionary context. And you did a wonderful job. I just want to say of, of, uh, introducing this is wound healing. And now don't get me wrong. Wound healing of all the regenerative capabilities that we as humans possess uh, you know, we, we turn over our blood and our skin cells, and we do have some minor regenerative capability in our liver. Wound healing is by far probably the most important thing that we have developed as uh, as a higher organism, just because, you know, we are a species that bleeds very rapidly, and we die very rapidly from loss of blood. So we have been biased, as you pointed out, to a potent uh, thrombogenic and fibrotic wound healing response to stop that blood from coming out. The balance to that uh, is the fact that that leads towards a regenerative process that is quite subdued. Uh, we're not getting form and function back. To get form and function back uh, requires a modulation of those effects. And we're not saying we want to stop the wound healing process. That's not the goal. But the goal is now, okay, now that we've healed, what can we do? What can we tap into that the other, fo- the other creatures can do? And that is exciting because, as you point out, it has to do when you, when you gave your introduction about inflammation as an example. Yeah, inflammation is so you know, everywhere in the press nowadays is something that is bad. But actually, there are components of our inflammatory response that are extremely important for regeneration, namely our innate immune response. So there is one thing, and it's you know, part of our research on how we quietly modulate the innate immune response. We don't want too much of it, but we don't want to shut it off entirely because it's pro-regenerative at certain levels. Uh, Also the histolytic events and how you clean up uh, that area so that new growth can occur uh, and not be limited. You know, this has been one of the problems with spinal cord injury research to date is, you know, it's not that we can't get neurons to grow. It's how you get them to reconnect appropriately through a huge scar. So, all of these components are extremely important for keeping us alive, but at the same point, they hinder regeneration. So we have to think creatively to how we get around these barriers. And that is uh, probably the most important goal and, and what we've been spending most of our time on the last several years. 
In your research, you know, you, you deal obviously a lot with the human body. Does our body put a hierarchy on what it needs to protect? So when we're, we're healing our wounds, we heal quickly to prevent blood loss. The scar and the skin, or the skin that remains, and I, I could be incorrect about this, so do correct me if I'm wrong. The wound that is healed, the skin basically is not functional. It's, it's not the same as the skin that was there before. Is that correct? Uh, it depends on how it deep depends. that wound is. But yeah, I mean, if it's, a scar, if it's scar tissue, I mean, scar tissue, you know, not, not, to, not to get too deep. I mean, scar tissue is obviously alive. But it is non-functional in the sense that uh, you're not going to, um, you know, when that scar tissue is in your heart after a heart attack, no, it's not going to spontaneously turn into healthy cardiomyocytes and start beating again. So if the body is working very, very quickly to stop blood flow, is that what's hindering it? from giving it the time to regenerate? Do you know where I'm, where I'm going? Like, is the hierarchy for us to, to make sure that blood flow is stopped? That's, that's number one, a priority. And therefore, we're that's, not allowing time for a regenerative process because priority number one is to heal the wound. Yeah, it's, I would say biologically, it's like priority one through five. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely over those, you know, from the time the first mammal appeared on this planet onward, yes. I mean, that is core to keeping us alive. Um, and and, and re- regeneration thrown in the basket, not important um, as far as that. And it has to do with the way the circulatory system works and the way that, you know, lower organisms do not bleed as well as we do or as much mm-hmm. as we do. But, yes, it is all connected in, a, in sort of the homeostatic dynamic that keeps humans here. So you have a whole lot of things going on trying to, to bring these biologics. It's, it's a fascinating area. The, the body is such an interesting machine, and to try and delve into the whys and why nots. You know, and when we talk about spinal cord regeneration and uh, the brain, there has been some research fairly recently that we actually can regenerate a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was long thought that, you know, once you, um, you lose central nervous system neurons, that they're not coming back. But that's not true. I mean, neurogenesis uh, has been shown to be active throughout a lifetime. Uh, one thing that, you know, excuse it is the fact that when we are injured or we have some type of degenerative process going on, the cascade of death, of neural cell death, is like a million times faster. So we don't see the neurogenesis as much um, as we would, you know, in the neurogenesis that's occurring, say, in a fetus uh, and how rapidly that's happening. But, yes, I mean, we do have nascent reservoirs of stem cells and progenitors that um, are, are, are cycling and, and, and are capable of carrying. And at the same time, you know, we think that once again, the brain, you know, we have it, we're born, we have our brain, it grows a bit and that's it. But no, I mean, we lose thousands of neurons a day, and the um, uh, the the biologic milieu within each individual neuron um, turns over tens of thousands of times in a neuron's lifetime. You know, as a, as a side topic for okay, if that all happens, then how do we hold on to memories? But mm-hmm. that's a, that's a topic for a different show. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, we we don't have you know, you you can chop out a. Uh, 
most of a salamander's brain, you can cut the head off a planarian and it grows a whole new one. Uh, we don't have those abilities yet. When it, the, <laughs> the, the one that's of, of interest to me is cancer. And mm-hmm. I know this, again, could probably all your, your research and so forth could probably take a lot more time than we have. But how does cell regeneration and reversal play into um, your finding cures or treatments for cancer? Uh, that's a wonderful question. Um, and it's, a, it's, the, it's one of the great paradoxes in biology that the most regenerative organisms on this planet, everything down there, starfish, jellyfish, bibians, worms, so forth, they are the most regenerative and they are the least, least amount of cancer. And when they do get cancer, they revert it. Um, yet they are the most regenerative. And, and this is a paradox because regeneration has always been seen as a double-edged sword in terms of human cancer. Mm-hmm. If, you just, if all you're doing is regenerating and you're just growing, you're just going to turn into a giant tumor. It doesn't make any sense. But you have this paradox that's been known for decades now. And what we're eventually, and you know, I mentioned some of the, you know, the work in the 1940s on you know, tumors and frogs and all that bit. What we're finding out now in 2018 is not that it's just about regeneration. It's about the tissue reorganization. It's about, hey, there's a tumor here. It's causing in my body uh, the same inflammatory dynamics, the same necrotic dynamics as it's trying to spread as a wound. So what is the frog? What's the salamander? What are these little organisms doing? They're regenerating and remodeling the tumor, just like, you know, if they were creating a new leg, based on sort of the morphologic uh, situation, what should be in that tissue. So they're not, they don't, they don't care that the cells are damaged. They're just going about their normal program to start over, to reset time, to clean up the genome and create new tissue uh, based on, hey, remember that all that tumor is, is your original tissue that's just sort of gone off in a slightly different direction. It's not, you know, it's not foreign, it's you. It's, they know how to turn it back and start time over and make a healthy cell out of it again. So therein lies what we didn't know in 1940, and we now learn in 2018 what they're up to. And in that finding alone, um, in many ways, is potentially a path towards dealing with cancer that you know we haven't thought of in the past. Well, how far? Let's not focus on. How sorry? Go ahead. Are you finish your thought there? Yeah, no, it's just that we, we we always focus on the kill event as opposed to the change event. And, you know, if you found out you had Alzheimer's tomorrow, you don't cut out your brain. What, is it, does it always make sense to try to kill a tumor as opposed to change a tumor? So, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, it just, you know, I, I'm, my brain's working, you know, faster than it should. Um, how, how far away from market are you to bringing something that will help people with cancer? Uh, we are, uh, I would say... Well, we're three years from our first in human experience uh, in the United States, and we'll be focusing on orphan drug indications there. But the shortest timeline for the U.S. market will be within five years. Five years. Um, we are, as mentioned, we are active with partners ex-U.S., uh, although, you know, as I mentioned, we are a, a U.S. company. We cannot ignore the 200 plus other countries that are out there in today's day and age. And, you know, if we can tap into, you know, the some of the expedited uh, processes that Japan has for regenerative medicine or some of the free zone activity in China, 
uh, we're going to do that too, because if we can get the market in four years in Asia, as opposed to five years in the United States, then we're helping a lot more people. So we're active, uh, even though we're a small company, we are, we do view ourselves as international. Now you're not in the stage yet then of clinical trials. Not in the United States, no. Not in the United States. I wanted to take a little step back. I know we're pushing towards the end of the show, right, Alex? Um, I wanted to take a little step back. When you talk about uh, re- reversing um, tumor cells, one of the, you know, when, when you have um, a tumor cell, you get the pathology. One of the markers is how close that tumor cell is to regular tissue. So they'll come back and they'll say, you know, it was, you know, it could have been a tight tumor cell and, and um, you know, the, the tissue was fairly normal. Um, you're aware of that, Ira? Sure, sure. So, so that, you know, that... That plays into, I just wanted to let our listeners know that. So having, I'm probably saying this wrong, but more of a tumor that is a regular cell tumor is a positive thing, which plays into what you're trying to accomplish here in reverting tumor cells to regular cells. You know, the more, the farther away from normal cells a tumor is, the more pathologic it tends to be. That is just one marker but I just wanted to to bring that up because um, when I got my pathology back, that was one of the the positives I got in 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 my pathology. So I just wanted to let everybody know that you know this plays into what exactly Biocork is trying to do, and it's phenomenal. Now you are mostly in the R and D right now, Ira. Um, obviously, this is going to spark a lot of people's interest because you're covering a, a whole plethora of diseases, and especially when you're talking about cancer and Alzheimer's. I mean, these are things, as you mentioned, are, are a big problem right now. How do we continue to stay up on your research? How do we, um, you know, stay involved and in, in, on the, the, the knowledgeable end of what you're doing? Um, you know, come to our website, uh, biopark.com, um, learn about our programs. We uh, learn about our partnerships uh, and reach out. You know, we are a, a small, very transparent company that loves talking about what we do and our goals um, and ask questions. We, uh, we're, we're an open book and um, we think that this is, um, it, there are important themes here that, that have to be told uh, beyond sort of the the standard pharma industry mantras. Um, not saying they're all bad, but there's a lot more out there that uh, society and people need to understand to have a holistic view on, on disease and degeneration. So um, reach out anytime and I'll, be, and, and I'll be glad to come back on <laughs> and talk more about these topics. Yeah, because, you know, as I said, we could spend an hour on each specific one and really, you know, dive into the pathologies of each and, and how you're heading it in that regard. We've only scratched the surface here and it would be really interesting for you, you know, to, to come back and spend some time on each individual disease and really show us how you've taken a deep dive. And, and it's important for people to understand how these diseases happen and, and your approach. So I really want to thank you for being with us. This is, you know, truly what we, we try and do on the health hub is bring stuff that is, you know, more of a cutting edge, something that a lot of people don't know about. And, you know, when you're trying to complete your your health picture, you really do need to take into account a lot of these these novel ways of doing things. We're moving really fast and furious. And Ira, when you're saying that you're only four years out, uh, perhaps from coming to market, that really is a short period of time when, you know, if, if you're looking at 
the, the regular drug path. So four years is is not very long, um, and and the work you're doing is so very promising. So I'd like to very much thank you for coming to the show and welcome you back um, anytime. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.